It's Sunday, July 3rd, and you're listening to Peanuts and Popcorn. P&P is a baseball podcast interrupted by a movie discussion between two old friends. I'm Tom Hockney. And I'm Leo Fontana. This week on Peanuts and Popcorn, Tom and Leo find popcorn in our peanuts as a league of their own turns 30. Mark Appel finally makes his major league debut at the age of 30. That was some nine years after he was drafted as a can't-miss prospect. Josh Naylor nails down another thriller for the Guardians, and we react to an ugly brawl between the Angels and the Mariners. Finally, our popcorn discussion is on the John Houston Humphrey Bogart classic, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. How are you doing, Tom? I'm doing just peachy this morning. How are you? I'm doing all right. You know, just issues with the dog. Got to get her out. I've already taken her for a little walk. Uh, I'll do it again after she gets a little breakfast. Right. But, but it's like uh, walking around with a movie star, this dog. She, everywhere you go, everyone is just drawn to her. They want to pet her. They want to touch her. They want to, you know, kids come up to me. Can we please pet your dog? It's crazy. <laughs> that, that is the, the beauty of, of, um, uh, dog ownership. Uh, that's something that we miss with uh, the dude being gone because he was quite the rock star himself. However, I have to tell you that this is the time of year, um, and it's certainly big here in Harrison, where the fireworks are going crazy and it drives dogs nuts. I feel so bad for for dogs. So I wanted to ask you because our black lab was basically nonplussed about fireworks, whereas the dude would start crying. I mean, he literally would, it, it bothered him so much. And we tried Thunder shirts. We tried all of these products that are supposedly a, alleviate or lessen to a, to a certain degree the uh, side effects that the dogs have when um, fireworks are being uh shot off around the 4th of July. And let me just say, I think everyone has the right to blow off fireworks. I think it's not cool at three o'clock in the morning, but it, but it is, it is there, you know, you work all year, you want to blow off some steam, that's fine. But the problem is it drives dogs crazy. And I don't know whether you've had that experience yet, or your dog is like Mar Black Lab. She may be nonplussed about it. Well, you know, here, here in Glenview, we get very little sort of extracurricular fireworks. You know, we get a little bit, you know, somebody shoots off a few, but it's not very loud. It's not very prominent. And then the show itself, I mean, the big, big fireworks show that'll take place in the Glen, which is at least three, three and a half miles away. So I don't think it will be a problem. Yeah. Well, you'll know right away. They either have this visceral reaction or they don't. Like I said, not all dogs are impacted, but that's the one negative about this time of year, which again, you know, happy birthday, America and all that stuff. But it just, I I think about the dogs, particularly the smaller dogs who um, have pretty, pretty much a rough time with this stuff. Yeah. I, I, I actually heard about that. And this is, this is going to be our first 4th of July with Maggie, so we'll see how it goes. I hope she uh, is able to get through it okay. We uh, took a vacation, or rather a staycation, and nobody does staycations better than the Fontanas. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, why is there a fair amount of dine and dashes going on here? What, what's, what are you no, talking about? <laughs> just we're really good at, uh, you know, picking up on something, you know, getting, squeezing a little extra fun out of something. Like, for example, my wife, she um she went to a conference for her union 
with her sister. Her sister is also a teacher. Her sister is very active in the teachers union in California. So right. she convinced Julie to come to a conference. And as a result of coming to the maybe, maybe she can convince Julie to watch black and white movies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but uh, but so so Julie goes to this conference and she's able, as a result, to get a an overnight stay in a downtown hotel. And and we all came down, and we spent the night at the Hyatt and had a lovely time. We took the girls to Chinatown. Uh, they ate shrimp for the first time. I couldn't believe it. Of course, nice. I didn't tell them that they were eating shrimp, but that's right. okay. They liked it. And they get to try and eat dim sum or. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly what we did. And I'm sorry. Oh, try this. This is toast. And it was like <laughs> shrimp toast. And uh, I said, yeah, it's fried toast. They dip it in batter and they fry it. And they're like, oh, wow, this is really good. Wow. There so, you go. There you go. That's a good exactly. sign, Leo. Yeah. The taste buds are developing. It is. That's true. They're developing and. And I think they took a few steps forward uh, last night. But Chinatown was a blast. We walked around all the little stores. You know, Nora was just so excited about different stuff that she could buy. And we just had a great time. The weather was great. You, you know, know what Chicago, that place is what that place is great for is buying tea. If you are a tea drinker, if you have tea drinkers in your family, green tea, which is, by the way, very good for you. Um that is a great place to buy it because you can buy it basically at wholesale prices. Just well, so a, a right. note to our listener out there. if you're. But you, you know how things are in Chicago in the summer when it's just beautiful. We walked the length of Navy Pier. You know, uh, I was in Dallas a week ago. Hello. It, it was so dead there downtown. There was just nothing happening. But in Chicago, there's a lot of tourists, you know, everybody's sightseeing. It was really cool. So, yeah. Comes. I agree with you about Dallas. I've had to go there on business many times, and it just, you know, you know that you know the city's in trouble when one of their biggest tourist things is to take the drive that JFK took before he got, he forgot to wear his bullet helmet that one day. Uh, as you know, that that's like their most prominent uh, thing. So otherwise, it's uh, it's kind of like Houston. Houston is just a nasty. All the buildings are reflective, mirrored buildings, yeah. and it's just. It's just has no soul whatsoever. Now, Austin, that's a whole nother story. I think you found great parts of Texas the further south you went. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And, and, you know, in spite of some of the political things that are going on in Texas, I still really like and I admire many aspects of Texas. I, I just do. I, for some reason, it's a uh, it really, you know, I've been there twice in the last three years. And I, I don't know, it's made an impression. I really enjoy yeah. it. It, it, uh, I don't as we like to say around here, it's really the only Confederate state that I would ever consider living in. The true yeah. Confederate state. I, yeah. There's I, the rest of those other Southern states. I'm out on absolutely 100. Georgia, Alabama. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Mississippi. Yeah. I know there's beautiful country, Kentucky, Tennessee, all that, but I'm out. Yeah. Yeah. Texas, I could handle because there's a kind right. of I don't know. There's a grandeur to Texas. It's the, just the wide open spaces. It's it's the food. It's the people. It's it's a cool place. On a it, lot is. Of it is. I'd like to lead you all in a little prayer. Dear Lord, may our feet be swift. May our bats be mighty. May our balls be plentiful. And Lord, I just like to thank you for that waitress in South Bend. You know who she is. She kept calling your name. Cause it's flash. 
Columbia Pictures would like to take you out to the ball game for an all-star comedy. They'll pay you $75 a week. We only make 30 at the dairy. Well then, this would be more, wouldn't it? The manager, Tom Hanks. Are you crying? There's no crying. There's no crying in baseball. The catcher, Gina Davis. Directed by Penny Marshall. Well, all right, so let's get right to the peanuts and we'll begin with kind of a quasi popcorn discussion at the start of our peanuts conversation. And that's uh, the movie, A League of Their Own Turns 30. Yeah. And The Athletic had a great piece. They interviewed Marla Hooch, or uh, her name is Megan Cavanaugh. This is Daniel Brown, is the writer from The Athletic. He was able to catch up with Megan Cavanaugh. And uh, she, they talked about the making of the movie. And a lot, and, and Kavanaugh, you know, looked forward to just basically telling stories about number one, how she gets the part of the homely but hard hitting Marla right. Hooch, and uh, and you know how she was just a struggling actress living in Chicago, trying to get into plays, trying to get into movies, TV shows, anything. And she got a hold of a copy of the script, and she said she really wanted to play this part and she went out there and she got a coach and she learned how to hit and she learned how to switch hit and she went in for an audition and absolutely if we want to use a baseball term she crushed it and penny marshall cast her in the movie and uh you know the rest is sort of as they say history um what i was unaware of is that this a league of their own is the highest grossing baseball movie of all time and it, it, it doesn't it doesn't make it right, Leo. But yes, that is right? that is correct. I mean, the fact that the bang the drum slowly, which to me is the, one of the great baseball movies of all time, didn't even have a fraction of that uh, box office. Or the Pride of the Yankees with Gary Cooper, which was a very successful film, did not also have the most box office of all time. It's just it's kind of like the movie itself, comical. But then again, there's no crying in baseball, so I'm not going to bitch about it. Well, it's, it, it, the movie does provide us with that that famous line, which we hear time and time again. And and the the other thing too is Penny Marshall, I thought, directed a wonderful film. Oh, there's face. no doubt. And she was in the heyday of her directing career too. She, yeah, that, she was the height of her powers. It, it's a completely charming little film, but but for it to be the biggest box office film is kind of ludicrous. But and also the other thing too is. What I learned from this story was that, you know, being, you know, an old improv guy myself, it's just funny to me on how certain actors, which they caught lightning in a bottle one time, they became, you know, and Hollywood is chock full of these type of guys, how they make a life and a business off of that one role. In other words, they never really got another role. They didn't have an active, ongoing career. But this woman, like, gives tours of, you know, uh, uh, and signs books about her 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 one big role that she had in Hollywood, which, God bless her, and more power to them. They have to make money somehow. But to me, that's really the real story, are these, you know, I don't want to say two-bit actors or unknowns. It's maybe a better way of saying yeah. Yeah. it. And, and how they... Um, you know, try to make money off of their brand, which is what they have to do. Um, you know, it's like the kid that licked the, the post in the Christmas story. 
Yeah. Every yeah. year at Christmas, he's got to lick all the. I mean, this guy's t- tongue is in bad shape from having to recreate that scene all the damn time. So, I, you know, I that's the part that I look at as an ex actor type guy. I I kind of like, hey, who are you? What what is your real job? Because this can't completely pay the bills in your house. No, of course not. Of course not. <laughs> but but it's 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 about you know when you think about Megan Cavanaugh's sort of moment in the sun for yeah. being in that movie, you know, um, th- this movie provides a moment in the sun for all these women who played in the women's professional baseball league during the war years. And, yeah. uh, you right. know, which and, and it, that, this is a very important subject. And again, this is a very good film. Yeah. Make no mistake about it. No one, you know, I don't, I don't discount, discredit it at all. And in fact, this Kavanaugh woman said, that in her entire life, before that shooting started and after, she never hit as good as she did was when the cameras were on her. Wow. Like yeah. She was like, yeah. I, I can never recreate what the magic that occurred while we were making that film. And there's a million little stories, like, for the example, a great story about how they kind of put Madonna in her place. Yeah. Madonna it, being it the diva that, that yeah. she was at the time and I think still is. And uh, what's her name? Just basically, uh, Rosie O'Donnell. Made Rosie fun. O'Donnell just yeah. basically knocked her down a few pegs, in in a funny way too. So in a way uh, that I think Madonna appreciated because it uh, because it allowed her to kind of just be one of the members of the cast. You know what I mean? And basically, she's been- uh, what she did was she started singing Madonna songs in front of her, which, by the way, you're supposed to never do that. That's a big no-no with her. Yeah. And she started doing it every day. And then eventually her and Madonna became best friends. Yeah. And to this yeah, okay. day, they're like best friends. Yeah, that was really cool. And the other story that kind of uh, resonated with me is that, you know, when Kavanaugh auditioned for the part of Marla Hooch, she had to hit and they felt like she could hit. You know, they're right. like, OK, it looks like you have this part. But then when it came time to film the scene, when they're in supposedly Fort Collins, Colorado or whatever, and uh, she's supposed to, you know, audition for the scout and they bring in a double, they bring in a woman to hit for her. And she's like, no, Penny, I've been practicing. I really want to be able to do this myself. And she went in there and she was, she was hitting against a real college pitcher and she had to switch hit and she did great. And they used all the footage, which I thought was really cool. Yeah. Like I said, she said she never hit as well as she did as when the cameras were on her. So that's that. the whole story is pretty cool um, and enduring. But like you said, it's a in very important subject. It's 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 not it's not as important as the Negro League struggle. But this was very important to America in World War Two right. because of what was going on in the country. So it's a, it's a much bigger story there. But uh Yes, I, uh, I hope you're not. Gonna, I hope you're not going to be assigning that film anytime soon. But anyways, no, go ahead. No, I'm not. <laughs> if you if you haven't seen it, you should see it and make sure you bring a box of Kleenex because you will right. cry your eyes out. Uh, yes. But this is a movie a lot of people have seen. It's on cable TV all the time. Oh, uh, for sure. For you sure. know, and uh, and the other thing that's really impressive about it is just the cast. I mean, you begin with Tom Hanks, and then yeah, you go right. guys like John Lovitz and. You know, just down the line, there's just a lot of great actors and actresses in it. So, all right, um, let's move on. And I want to talk about Mark Appel, who made his major league debut with the Phillies at the age of 30. He actually turns 31 
in two weeks. And this is a guy who was brought in, I think, uh, at the age of 21. And he was regarded as a can't miss prospect, I think, with uh, and and he he missed. You know, do, he, first of all, do you remember this guy? Because I, I do. Remember this guy? I do. I because he, he came he came up at 18 into yeah. the draft, and he didn't like the fact. First of all, his agent or whatever was a ball buster and wanted so much money that he fell from first to eighth. And uh, Appel said, "I'm going back to college." Right. And, and, or I'm going to college. And he went to college and then was drafted again. This time he was drafted number one. Yeah. Um, and, you know, it, it just he had arm problems. You know, the, the comments. First of all, this baseball's chock full. Baseball's littered with stories like this. Uh, but it's unusual that the guy who was the phenom, who was injured, struggled, blah, 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 and then gave up baseball three years and now yeah. he's made his major league major league debut it's just remarkable i mean there's nothing it is else. remarkable and and you do have guys who struggle and finally figure it out but here's a guy who left the game right uh, you know after he had surgery he's like i'm done but then his arm started feeling better he's throwing the ball with some high velocity he's like maybe i'll give it one more shot and based on giving it one more shot, he got into the show earlier this week. So it's it's kind of a it's it's a nice thing to hear. It's a nice it's a story. feel good story, Leo. It is. It is. And I feel good for just talking about it, frankly. You know, <laughs> I do, too. But uh, but but meanwhile, in Cleveland, have you seen what Josh Naylor did? Well, I mean, I I I, I always watch the highlights uh, in the morning. So, yeah, of course, I saw that. And, uh, the, uh, and what we're referring to is. Uh, he hits a walk-off home run, but it's kind of like he's a dangerous pinball running around the field. Like he, you maybe don't want him to hit you because you could end up on the IL. Uh, uh, guys are yeah. wearing helmets because he's one of these Carter Berg type guys that headbutts everybody. Uh, which <laughs> uh, I have to say, I've known guys like that in my life, and and I get the spirit of the collegiate spirit of it, but it makes me mental. Um, and, and then more than one time I've decided that you're going to have a headache because you did this to me and I, and I've delivered on it too, but also I've taken it as well. The point is why are men in the 21st century headbutting each other? Knowing what we know about CTE, it makes no sense whatsoever. <laughs> no, it doesn't. But then guys who go around headbutting each other. Common sense isn't exactly one of their strong right, suits. Right, not one of their strong suits. But but what is what I found significant about this is this is the 17th win by the Guardians in their last at bat, their 17th walk-off win, and they've done six of those against the Twins. You know, which oh, oh, uh, six of those against the Twins. I didn't know which they obviously yeah. have to play them 19 yeah. times a year, which is. Not good, so they've, but. they've walked the twins off six times and 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 they've done it 11 other times against other teams. And this is the same Josh Naylor who had eight RBIs after the eighth inning against the White Sox last oh, right. year. Right, right. You know? And we talked about that as well. He, he's a he's a very interesting character. But like I said, he's he's, you know, he's kind of like a uh, hand grenade with feet. And, yeah. and I, I yeah. want to stay away from it if I'm. If I'll bet you the you know Ramirez 
in Cleveland, they they the coaches probably cordon him off and say you can't come near near this guy when he comes you know running around the bases, throwing his helmet up in the air and ready to start headbutting everybody. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> All right. So uh, on the other end of the country, out on the left coast, uh, we've got the Oakland A's and uh, the city of Oakland, or I guess the ball club, received approval from uh, the Bay Area Authority to build a new ballpark, a a $12 billion. Not not just a new ballpark, a a new mecca, uh, a sports mecca, if you will. Think of like what Ricketts is doing in Wrigleyville. Uh, near uh, Wrigley Field, it's a similar thing. It's 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 many things, but the biggest thing is that it's a multi-purpose place. It's not just for the Oakland A's, even though who are we kidding? It's there, for the Oakland A's. The central focus. Correct. Yeah. Correct. But well, twelve billion dollars, and this is um, and it's by the way, it looks like this is going to go through. They've been only trying to deal with this for like two decades now. So this is kind of a big story um, in how it impacts the A's and them staying in Oakland, in the Oakland area. Well, you know, it's hard to get my head around what the Oakland A's fan base is like. I I can't imagine it's a very large fan base, uh, but I'm sure they have some dedicated fans uh, I think I'm happy for them that it's sta- that that it looks like Oakland it looks like the A's will stay in Oakland. But I actually was kind of hoping they would end up in Las Vegas. I think it would have been a much better move for them. They would have been a much bigger player in things like free agency. Um, it would have been a more attractive destination, certainly for for players who are looking to sign with the team. I thought it, it would have. I don't know. Turn them around as a franchise. I mean, they're really the the you know they're they're just basically picking up the scraps at the table. The A's yeah. are, you know, yeah. they're not a player in terms of the big big money players, and and that's kind of sad. So I don't know. It, it, it is that. because you know, and you can it, this kind of goes back to Charlie Finley way back in the day when the A's were great and they actually won. Um, three World Series that, you know, uh, right in a row. That's, uh, how, how many teams have done that, right? But they haven't, it's almost as though um, they're, disres- they're a disrespectful franchise in the way, and, it, and, and Moneyball started that. And, 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 and because every other small franchise prior to that has either gone out of business They've had to move the franchise. They just couldn't stay in that location and be profitable and draw the fans in there and build a good team, which is maybe what should have happened to Oakland. And they've kind of, I don't want to say they've been on life support ever since, but if I was a fan, and we talked about this earlier this year, it would be very difficult to be an Oakland A's fan when they've gotten to the uh, precipice a few different times over the last 15, 20 years and sell off the team in the offseason. I mean, it's just, to me, it's, it's, it, it, it's just, it's beyond head scratching. It's, it's painful. If you're a fan, it's like, you know, what are we, what are we, chop liver? Every year we come out and cheer, and every year you almost are good. And, and you don't really change that formula. You 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 get right up to the to to the fence of being great, and then you don't ever get past it. No, you're right, and, and it is frustrating. And it's we'll see what the world is like if the 
Oakland A's are suddenly financially relevant as opposed to just being relevant on the baseball field. Right, um, right. You sent me a scorecard, basically yeah. from Ump Scorecards, which is a, an entity that evaluates umpires. Umpscorecards.com. They, and they, they evaluate uh, the umpires, I don't know, uh, the quality of the umpire's performance in a given game. And every single day, every pre- single umpire on the field is judged, and they they create this scorecard, um, like you were saying, on everything that they do. I, you know, well, and and if you look at the one that was for Doug Eddings, who was behind the plate when uh, Toronto was at the White Sox a few days ago, and the White Sox won seven to six. This was the twenty first of June. It, it said that it, his calls resulted in a plus 2.03 runs for the White Sox. And when the White Sox win by one run, that is remarkable. And it also said that he had his strike accuracy on called yep. strikes was only 64%. Again, and that that, was, that, that's brutal. That, that's what stuck out. And, and when I read this, um, and um, it was from your uh, – favorite uh, publication dead zone um (laughs) the author was trying to say this may be the worst scorecard that they've ever seen because apparently somebody went through and kind of looked at it and specifically on the the strike accuracy was 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 really piss poor the reason why i brought this up today is we've been very critical of some umpires um and you know fernandez comes to mind correct and um the fact is, this is worse than any of those guys. So all I'm trying to say is keep your eyes on Doug Eddings when he is the uh, he's an American League umpire. When he is the umpire for uh, Sox or for my even my Tigers, I'll be on the lookout for this guy, knowing full well that. And again, baseball, get rid of these guys. I, you know, well, these I mean, are attractive bad. jobs that you that no Leo. The minor league system to become an umpire is so vigorous and so difficult that the, only the best of the best get these jobs. And what I'm saying is when you have someone who, and again, go go to that uh, umpscorecards.com, a shameless plug here, you will see that Eddings is at the very top of the worst. <laughs> That's a bad, bad turn of the phrase, but he is the worst of the worst, maybe. Well, that, that's too bad. I mean, I hate to disparage a guy for doing his job, and there are all sorts. I, I of don't. <laughs> well, there are all sorts of reasons that an umpire can call a ball a strike or vice versa, and you know that may have to do with the context of the of a given at bat, or yeah, or just no, there are right. all sorts of factors. Maybe he's got early dinner reservations. I don't know. <laughs> but, it's more like that. But, yeah. but the point is, it makes Joe West look good because Joe West never was this bad. You could say what yeah, you want about right. him. And, and but Angel he, Hernandez wasn't that bad either. Well, now, Angel Hernandez is pretty bad. Hernandez is worse than West. But the point is, keep your eye on the settings. Well, we certainly will. And did you get your eye on the video that John Boy put together about the uh, brawl that happened this week between the California Angels and the Seattle Mariners? Did yeah, I did. I did look at it, or I have to say, I looked as much of it as I could take. After a while, it looked like a yeah. Three Stooges movie where they're throwing pies at each other. <laughs> but that was crazy. I mean, Jesse Winker gets hit right in the rear end, mm-hmm. you know, and this is because 
they threw high and tight to Mike Trout, I guess, in the game. No, before. no, wait, wait, but but it started like didn't it start like a week before yeah, this game? Started week, yeah, yeah, started a week before when they threw high and tight to uh, Trout. Oh, that's and, right. Yeah, and Phil Nevin, I guess, is the manager of the Angels. That's right. And he was like shouting to service, like that's bullshit. You can't throw it our guy. Why are you throwing it at his head? Right. You know, we'll, we're not we're not going to forget that. And they certainly didn't because uh, first chance he got, Nevin brings in, well, basically they start the game with an opener, which is a reliever who is not a starting pitcher who's going to start the game. Yep. And he gets uh, an 0-2 count on the hitter, and he, and he drills Winkler, uh, Jesse Winkler, right in the rear end. And Winkler, first it looks like he's not going to react very much, but then he starts jawing into the uh, – into the Angels dugout, and then guys come out, and then it is on. There are punches thrown. This brawl moves from the home plate area all the way over to the opposing dugout. People are falling all over each other, throwing each other around. They are landing punches, and this goes on for a good ten minutes. You know, this is this was bad. Yeah, it it, it after a while, these things kind of become silly to look at anyways, because it's just, it's, it's just preposterous. What is occurring on the field? Like people yeah. are, you know, the bullpen catchers are, are lining up next to each other, like hockey goalies. Uh, but all I know is there was a fair amount of suspensions handed out, including Nevins, who was given yeah. actually, I think seven games, a long time. Um, one of my star players, Julio Rodriguez for Seattle was given two games, but the interpreter, yeah. was given three games off. And then I understand like three people in the ticket selling operations were also given two. I mean, how many, how many players yeah. it like everybody in the stadium was fighting him fighting. I mean, well, what was hilarious is they <laughs> threw out of the game, this one guy who was trying to break up the fights. He's in there right, in the right. middle trying to break everybody up. He I've been in that position. By the way, I've been in that position too. And people point fingers at you and all you're trying to do is stop the violence and you're the bad guy. So You're the it, bad. He went crazy, though. He right. threw stuff on the field. You know, it, he was furious that he'd been thrown out of the game. Did he but, do? Did he go all Andre Dawson and threw the whole bat rack out there? He 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 cleared <laughs> off, you know, water coolers, just gloves, anything he could get his hands on. He threw that box of sunflower seeds all the way from the dugout to home plate. He, he showed some impressive arm strength. Well, the fact say. is, these very serious things that it could, and oftentimes uh, result in injuries become comical after a certain point. It becomes yeah. like a Keystone Cops thing where, you know, it's, it's almost ludicrous of what's occurring. But if you really kind of break it down, it's like you can't throw at a guy's head. I mean, that will always result in problems, it, especially if they think you did it on purpose. Then it for sure will result in problems. That's Especially the way it works too, in baseball. The guy who you're throwing at makes $40 million a year, too. Right. You right, know what I mean? Right. But uh, but anyway, so let's get on to Chicago baseball and uh, break up the Cubs. Yeah. Uh, the Cubs, who had, you know, two weeks ago had lost 10 straight, have yeah. won three straight series against the Cardinals, Reds, and the Red Sox. And uh, I don't know about you, but I'm walking around with a little more pride, you know? I, I am. I am. Um, I will tell you that I'm just going to reiterate that David Ross is a tremendous manager because I think he's making the most out of uh, he just doesn't have a lot to work with. I don't no, think. And I, and I, I, it's it's encouraging that the Cubs are playing better. And there are some the, 
things that we knew what were going to happen, which is once they kind of got rid of everybody and started bringing in all this young talent, eventually some of these guys were going to be good. And we're starting to see that some of these some of these younger players that replace the old guard um, are starting to step up and could very well be part of of the future of, of the Cubs. But I think at its core, this is David Ross. I mean, Ross has continuously impresses me. In fact, I will tell you, of the three teams, and I hate to say it, I'm including the Tigers because I watch so much Tiger baseball. A.J. Hinch is their manager. You've got old father time in south side of Chicago. I'm going to say that Ross is the best of those three managers. And I know Hinch won a World Series, but Ross's um, finesse with the bullpen is you know it's really really good. I mean he manages like a like a, a grizzled old Casey Stengel like manager. That I, I, I'm to pay him the highest compliment. Well, the the thing that I like about Ross is the atmosphere he sort of generates. And you know it, even though this is a team that is among the league's worst, uh, those guys who play for him are enjoying what they're doing. He makes them feel good about, even though they're losing, he makes them feel good about their job. They're going out there. They're giving 100%. You know, they're not phoning it in. Uh, they're trying to win, and they're doing the best they can because everybody on that team is fighting for their careers. And they're out there. They want to show that they can get it done, whether you're Christopher Morrell, who's yeah. the hot rookie sensation who's done nothing but impress since he's come up, or whether you're Jason Hayward, who's just – struggling to hang on by his fingernails for just another day in the sun. You yeah. know, this is a team where they're they're losing, yeah, but they're unified. And frankly, it makes them interesting to watch. Sure, I would rather see them win. Sure, I would rather see them be in first place. But this is not a bad watch as far as losing teams go. I'm sure yeah, you that you hit on a very important point that it's entertaining. They're, they're, yeah. It's not like some teams that are bad are just, they're no fun to watch at all. But, but I do think the Cubs for a variety of reasons, one of them is that they're the Cubs. So they're always been this lovable team anyways, even when they did lose every year. So, right. but I think that this team is, you know, has enough, uh, they really try to win the games. That they don't have the talent, but that's that's why I think Ross is so good. They they show up to play and not a lot of so for example, the White Sox are five games better than the Cubs. They're they're thirty they've won thirty seven. The Cubs have won thirty two. But the Cubs is uh, a run dif- differential uh, is is not good. It's a minus uh, sixty uh, sixty three. But the Sox is a more. The Sox is a minus 45. So yeah. they're not really that different uh, teams. And, and I would venture to say I would love to see the Cubs play the Sox in a seven-game series. I think you might be surprised what, what could happen. And and the Sox would be heavily favored, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Cubs won it. That That's that's what I'm trying to say. Like the, the Cubs on any given day can score with the best of them. They just don't. We know we've talked about this ad nauseum. They don't have the players. They're making the most of what they have. No, they are. They are making the most of it. And uh, Wrigley Field is still a beautiful place to go. And I saw a lot of Red Sox fans walking around downtown Chicago. So it must have been a pretty fun game. I wish I could have gone. But uh, let's hope they get the sweep today. Yeah, uh, Yeah, that would be great. 
The White Sox, on the other hand, you know, and again, we're, we're sort of beating a dead horse here. We're talking about the same things week after week. But as they go into July, you know, they've won two, two in a row. It looks like they've won this series, uh, I think, against the Giants, which is good because the Giants are a good team. Yeah. But um, let's they're see. Four, they're they, four and know, six. They're four and six in their last 10 games. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, you just, you know, that is what it is. I mean, you can't get pat. They need to catch fire. Is that what yeah. you're saying? They need to get hot, like July. And they've got, well, after they get back from San Francisco, their next 19 games are against the uh, American League Central with, I think, a couple of series against the Twins and the Guardians. So this is it. I mean, if they they need to well, come out at least of those games, you know, with more wins than losses. I, I, don't, I don't know if I completely agree, only in the sense that when you look at the Central – only two teams are over 500. The Sox are not one of them. We're talking about Cleveland and Minnesota. The Sox, their Achilles, we've said it for a long time, is they can't beat the over 500 teams. In fact, this year they're 18 and 23 against teams that are over 500. The Sox also get to play Detroit and Kansas City. These are teams that are not over 500. And so they could technically mop up of the Central if you think about it from that perspective, only because, I mean, they should. They're, they're, you know what I'm saying? Like they're not playing the Yankees and they're not playing Houston. You know what I mean? Or even Toronto for that matter. All right, all right. Well, let's put this in in gambling terms. I'll put it to you this way: If you were going to the sports book, yeah, would you bet on the White Sox being tied for or in first place by the end of July? It depends on what the odds would be. Well, what, it, it, you give me the odds. You tell me what, what you think the odds of that happening. That, that we would be in first place at the end of the season? Either tied for first or in first by the end of July. Oh, by the end of July? Yeah. That's 40 to 1. 40 to 1? Yeah. It's a, it's a huge number. It would be a huge number. By the end of, now, by the end of the season, then maybe it's 15 to 1 or 17 to 1. But to do that in the next 30 days, Leo, that, you know, they're – they're, they're two games under 500, and and they're five and a half games out of first place. And I will tell you, <laughs> the Twins have not been playing well lately at all. It, Cleveland has been owning them. And, and, in fact, really the story of the American League Central is the Guardians and the Twins. It's not the yeah. White Sox. I hate to say it. And, and it's certainly not my Tigers, who also have been playing pretty well, too. And Baez, by the way, is hitting the cover off the ball. And he's that spark plug that we thought he was going to be, which is all fine and good. Kansas City's got awful. So when the White Sox get to play Kansas City, they got to sweep them. If, they, yeah. if Kansas City beats the White Sox, even a game, that pretty much throws a, a wrench into what you're saying, if you think they're going to get hot right now. I, I, don't, I don't know. I hope they do, but I'm no, I don't know. Well, that, that, that's the thing is now the pressure is really, really building that they, they can't just win series. They have to sweep series and they have to sweep the series against the bad teams. And I don't know if that I mean, that's not a recipe for playing relaxed baseball. You know, when, when the pressure is that high for you to you know win every single game, because no matter what, even those bad teams will find a way to scrape by you. So you need to be in a better position so you don't have to feel that pressure. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I Again, I've said this again, time and time again, that I don't see a path for this team to really get back into first place and into the playoffs. I really don't. But I've been yeah. wrong before. 
I, I don't either. I, do, I don't see a way, um, you know, like Sparky used to say, once you get to 45 to 60 games in a season, you know what you have. And, and, and there can be ups and downs to what you have, meaning you can achieve a little bit better. But generally speaking, you revert to the mean statistically. You know, if you've got if you don't have problems with your pitching staff, it's not going to miraculously get better. That's why it's so important to what's going to happen in the next few weeks leading up to the trade and the and, you know, the silly season of baseball when player, you know, the superstars are leaving for five and six picks and all this kind of stuff. And so then I think it, so. That, so I guess I would preface by saying if the Sox are really active in that, well, then maybe that tells me that they feel as though they can do a little tinkering and get back in it. I, I'm not seeing it, but, you know, who knows? Neither am I. And I'm, I'm not really even sure what you could address to improve the club significantly. I mean, now that Lynn is back and that Cueto has essentially replaced Keuchel in the starting rotation, that's not a bad start. So, I mean, what are you going to do? You're going to get a starting pitcher to replace one of the one of these guys? Cease? No. Right. Lynn? No. no. Giolito has struggled, but you want to keep him in there. No, it, it's Kopech. Kopech is a relief pitcher that they're calling on every four or five days to start baseball games, and he's basically delivering. And, you know, Lance Lynn is back. That That's the bottom line. <laughs> so adding a starting pitcher is out of the question. They have a good relief core once Hendricks gets back. Right. Um, most of their best offensive players are out or injured or whatever. So assuming you get those guys back, I, I don't know what's one thing that I would do for this club except for getting their injured players healthy again. What do you well, trade? What needs to be done with this team needs to be done in the spring training or leading up to it next year, which is to basically say, if you cannot defend or field your position, you can't be on the team. Uh, like I would put a defensive edict out to say you must learn how to field your position or we're not taking you north with the team when we break camp. It's just not going to happen. That, yeah, but yeah. that's just that, because to me, that's the really the problem with this team is they like you've said many times, they can't catch the baseball and throw. Nope. And they, they had like something like 14 unearned runs in a stretch of 14 games. That's terrible. It's got awful. That's really bad. You know, and there was a play last night, although they won the game, you know, the runner had strayed too far off his second base. You know, they throw to second to get him or or um, Dylan Cease turns around to try to pick the runner off. He Who's been pitching brilliantly, by the way. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And he bounces the throw to Tim Anderson, but the throw, you know, it's short option, but it hits him right in the glove and he drops it. If he had just held on to it, he would have had an easy, you know, easy play. But that's just the way this team is. They don't make the routine plays, or they make the routine plays look very, very difficult. And it's going to kill them. And it is killing yeah. All right. So that's enough peanuts. Up into the forbidding majesty of the great Madre range go men. Their pasts buried in silent secrecy. Their futures hidden in the mystery of adventure. Men drawn together in their search for gold. Dog, soldier of fortune. Howard, the old-timer, Curtin, the youngster, and Cody, the intruder. These are the men who tried to tap the treasure of the Sierra Madre. Men with an oath on their lips and muscles in their arms, but men with greed in their hearts. Ready to break their backs, to sell their very souls for gold, fighting shoulder to shoulder against the forces of nature. 
only to find their greatest enemy is human nature. Shut your trap! Shut up or I'll smash your head flat! Ah! Throw it! Without me, you two would die here more miserable than rats. Leave him alone. Can't you see that the old man's nuts? <laughs> you're so dumb you don't even see the riches you're cutting out with your own feet. <laughs> Let's get right to popcorn. You chose the movie this week, The Treasure of the Sierra Madre. And this is a movie that I've seen before, but I was desperate to watch it again this week. And I am so, so glad that I did. This is a movie that came out in 1947. Uh, uh, Humphrey Bogart is the star. This was at a time where he'd done a series of movies where he was the hero. He was the good guy. He was the big, big box office draw. And uh, when he was when he when he was leaving to film the movie, he was telling the press, "Wait till this picture comes out. I'm a real asshole." Yeah, exactly. And, and that's true. He plays a character who is unsympathetic, to say yeah. the least. He is yeah, a is not a good person. But Bogey delivers the goods. So tell our listener, give us the mini plot. What is this about? Well, to to, to break down the plot, uh, we find our anti-hero, Fred Dobbs, bumming around Tampico, Mexico. Fred C. Dobbs. Fred C. Dobbs. Not Lou Dobbs, but Fred C. Dobbs. But he's bumming around Tampico, Mexico, looking for a job, looking for some money, something. And uh, he... Falls in at uh, sort of one of these, not not a bed and breakfast, but sort of a flop house. Yeah, no, and an old flop. man he overhears talking about uh, what he would do to, uh, to to extract gold out of a mountainside. And that he would be willing maybe to go in and do it one last time, to go prospecting. And he seemed to have a lot of knowledge about what to do and what to bring. So they throw in with him and uh, they raise the money by basically demanding that he be paid from a job that he had done before and they beat the crap out of his boss to get the money. And then he miraculously wins the Mexican lottery, which allows them to build the capital so they could buy the burrows and the pickaxes. The, and they the was, ticket was sold to him by a young Robert Blake. Wow. So that was anyway, Robert keep, Blake? Keep, keep going. Wow. Whoa. That was... Uh, the stuff, I mean, like on cue, we really need another $300. Senor, senor, you've won right. the lottery. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> and uh, and so they go and they basically start, they, they find a mountain in the middle of a very remote part of Mexico. The old they, man is their guide. He's their guide. He's the one who knows what to look for. He's the one who knows how to get the gold out of the mountain and extract it and separate it from all the other aggregate materials that they find. And they extract a bunch of money, but as they make more and more money, as they extract more and more gold, there are some serious problems that begin to emerge, not the least of which is greed, gold fever, the lust for more money. And the and, and as that builds inside the heart of the greedy man, Fred Dobbs, is that he is that he becomes suspicious of his partners. And he thinks that they're out to steal his money. And little by little, it drives Fred absolutely over the edge. And this is, I think, a brilliant movie because it really speaks to the darkness within men's souls. And, you know, he always talks before they went out prospecting. He's like, that wouldn't be me, man. I would just get my $10,000. That's all I'd want. And then we'd be out of there. I'd be done. 
But then when he's doing, he's like, well, I want to stay till I get $50,000, $75,000 worth of gold. And it just builds and builds and builds. And and I, if you have not seen this movie, you must see it now. You can rent it on Amazon for like four bucks. Right. It is fantastic. John Houston is the director who makes a cameo yeah. <clears throat> as a guy that Fred C. Dobbs keeps hitting up for money in Tampico, you know, just did it, it, it is an expose on the on the on the soul of the human being, you know, brilliant. Yeah, and 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 you you've missed one thing that I'm going to kind of talk a lot about uh, yeah. in relationship to this film. So this movie is my uh, on my top great films list is number thirty on my list, by the way. Um, th- this was um, a film that. Um, so the I love this film. It's a four-star film, but I wouldn't have called it the treasure of the Sierra Madre, which, by the way, the words Sierra Madre are never mentioned in the film. That is They're correct. on this mountain, this ubiquitous Mexican mountain that, uh, uh, as it turns out, as the story involves, other people know that there's gold on that particular mountain. But Howard, who's played by Walter Houston, and that's He's what I wanted. John that, Houston's that, father. Yeah. That's correct. And that's what I was wanted to talk about, because yeah. when I think and and. Um, John Houston said that this was the greatest experience in his long uh, movie career was working with his father. And he makes the case, and I happen to agree with him, that it's one of the most memorable film performances in movie history. You're you're talking about he won the Oscar, slam dunk won the Oscar. But Howard, the character, is really the moral backbone of 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 these three guys where greed can take and by the way it's not that he wasn't filled with greed either it's just that he was old and he had won and lost many fortunes in his life and he had it all in perspective he was able to basically he what he said at one point was when the pile of gold starts to grow that's when the trouble starts that's right and and that's exactly you know greed changes a man and 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 like you were referring to the Bogart character, Fred C. Dobbs, he didn't want nothing when they were in the uh, flop house setting it up. But as soon as he actually saw real gold, he turned into basically a madman. Yeah, yeah. he started talking to himself. <clears throat> I mean, it, it, you know, his uh, and Tim. By the way, Tim Holt was fantastic playing the third wheel in this film. Sure. Uh, sure. That's right. But this, make no mistake about it, this is Howard. This is Walt. This is Walter uh, Houston in uh, just a brilliant performance. Uh, it, it, when this movie is on, I stop and watch it every time. When this movie, when you know Howard, the character Howard as the old prospector is a cliche of the old prospector, and, and yeah. he plays it like a cliche sometimes. Yes, like you would yes. expect an old prospector to behave, but there's a wisdom behind the things that he says. That how he slows down and he notices what people are saying and how they're saying it. What's a red flag for that that sort of gold fever that's building in uh, in Fred Dobbs's heart and 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 head. And so you know it's really really uh, an excellent movie. What I like are sort of the moral choices that these men are forced to make yes. when when Cody the uh, the Texas guy follows them up the mountain yeah. and sort of comes into their camp and offers them a proposition. And he basically breaks it down to them three ways. You could, number one, kill me, but you'll have to develop the nerve to kill me. You'll have to bury me. 
You'll have to do all those things and people might come looking for me. And do you really want that? Right. Two, you can run me off, but then I might tell the authorities, then you'd be out of business just the same. And then number three, you could make me your partner. You know, and if you make me your partner, I won't ask for anything that you've already made. I just want a fourth of what we do after I arrive, trying to make a big score here. So they talk it over and they decide what we're going to do is we're going to kill him. All three right. of us are going to shoot him at once. And you hear them all cock their guns. And, and Cody's like, well, I guess you've made your decision. But at that moment, bandits arrive and they make an attack. And it's Cody who helps them with his sharp eyes and his accurate rifle, but Cody doesn't survive the gunfight. And so he helped them and he was their partner. And, and, and that was the difficulty of the choice that they made. They were ashamed of themselves, I think, that they were ready to kill this man, but who ends up helping them escape from the bandits. Right. So, you know, it, it's just, it is such a chilling movie in so many ways. Oh, and yeah. the way that it, Houston would backlight you know, um, uh, Bogart with his hair all right. frizzled. Well, Bogart beard. never looked so bad in his whole movie career. They he, And he did that on purpose. He, oh, first yeah. of all, in the film previous to that, Dark Passage, he was losing his hair. And the doctor said it's because of el too much alcohol and a lack of B12. You don't have enough sun uh, exposure and all these kind of things. So he tried to rectify that. But then he realized that that was going to help his character in yeah. Treasure of the Sierra Madre. So again, you will never see Bogart look so bad. And he and he took pride in that, just so you know, that it was important. But the scene of the film, and this is why I wouldn't have called it the Treasure of the Sierra Madre. I would have called it Fool's Gold because I thought there was a, a, a point where the novices, the Bogart and the Hulk character are come across what they think is gold. And they're like, oh, my God, we've hit pay door and it's gold. And Howard comes over and he starts laughing at me because that's not gold. That's fool's gold. You know, that's nothing, nothing. And then he starts dancing a jig because he's like, I'm dancing on real gold. You guys don't even know it. You're, you're chasing this yeah. fool's gold. Here's the real gold, you know, and, and he can't contain his glee. And to me, that performance right there. You can put that up with every uh, in all the things that I've seen in cinema. That's that would be in the top ten of of everything that I've ever witnessed. That's how great I think that moment is, and that's why I think Walter Houston, who played Jimmy Cagney's father in Yankee Doodle Dandy, it was all uh, which was another Oscar film. Uh, he only he only lived a couple more years, and by the way, he was only 64 when he filmed this, which because that's only one year older than I am. And it made me think, well, Jesus, do I look that old? Because he really did look pretty old back then. But again, smoking will do that to you. Smoking will do that to you. And, and you know, he he's also made to look like an old man. Uh, no doubt. Really, no doubt. He but again, he only that. lived two more years. So there was something to that. But uh, well, he played that smooth as glass, you know, yeah. and 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 it's what it is one of the great. Uh, performances in any film. And, you know, if you haven't seen Treasure of the Sierra Madre, you need to get that right away. Rent it, buy it, you can get it on Amazon Prime. As I said, it's only like three or four bucks. This is a movie that stacks up against any movie that's being made today. 
So, yeah. Guys. So, so I've, I want to just, you know, we're off for the next couple of weeks on our little uh, CSRR all-star break, if you will. Right. Do you have a film for us for, for the, when we come back in later I do, July? I do, actually. This is a movie with Emma Stone, uh, Stanley Tucci, Patricia Clarkson. One of my favorite movies. It is a teenage comedy, and it's called Easy A. And it is brilliant. You're going to love this movie, Tom. I, I, seriously. This is not a movie I think you would choose to see, but now that you're going to be forced to see it, I think you're really going to enjoy it. Yeah, forced is the word. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but I look forward to it, so uh, lead us out here. All right, so until next week, or actually until about two weeks from now, yeah. uh, we are the two peas in the podcast. Oh, by the drum slowly. And play the five lowly Play the dead march As they carry me along Put bunches of roses All over my coffee Roses to deaden the clouds As they fall 